Welcome to the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast from Colorado Public Radio, first aired Saturday mornings at 9 on CPR Classical. I'm Monica Vischer. Over nine episodes, we explore Ludwig van Beethoven's Nine Symphonies, one of the most important collections of musical works in history. Beethoven biographer Jan Swafford joins me to draw the thread in Beethoven's life from one symphony to the next. What was going on in Beethoven's life and what made these works so groundbreaking? In our last podcast, we talked about Beethoven's vivid depiction of nature in his pastoral symphony, the sixth. And now the seventh of 1812, one seemingly consistent dance track from beginning to end. Jan Swafford is with me again. Jan, welcome. Once again, great to be here. So I have to admit, the Seventh Symphony is my favorite, and I know it's a favorite of many Beethoven lovers. Give us your insights on what it is about the appeal of the Seventh Symphony. It's got a good beat. It is just an enormously lively rhythmical. It's the most rhythmical of all the symphonies, the most rhythmically oriented of all of them. That in itself is a formula for success, I think, and the, the material is delightful, the tunes are great. There's absolutely nothing in that symphony that is not immediately communicative. It's not esoteric at all. What did you mean in your book when you describe this work as a kind of Bacchic trance? By Bacchic, I meant what people in Beethoven's time meant, which is kind of a frenzy, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically a kind of dance frenzy. And the trance, to me, dance is a kind of trance. Haven't you been at parties and you get into a kind of a place that I describe as a trance? That's what dancing is. You know, this is dancing on, on drugs. I hate to sign onto a cliche, but Wagner called it the apotheosis of the dance, and I think part of what he meant is that it takes dance into this point of absolute frenzy, and you become entranced with these relentless rhythms and tirelessness of the whole piece. Was there a story behind the seventh? Not that I know of. Uh, A lot of Beethoven's pieces did have a story behind them, as he said. You know, the Sixth Symphony is pastoral. The Fifth Symphony is something having some kind of drama having to do with darkness to light, from faithfulness to triumph. And the Seventh, I think the story, if there is one behind it, is contrasting moods of dance, from the kind of frenzied jig of the first movement to the tragic dance of the second, the you know, the kind of delightful scherzo, which in scherzos are always like a dance, dance-like, and the really frenzied, kind of uh, real, Scottish or Irish real in the finale. What new direction did Beethoven take in his Seventh Symphony, which made it so different from the one that came before, the Pastoral Symphony? We've talked about before that with each of the symphonies, Beethoven said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. He absolutely refused to repeat himself. So I think in a way it was just simple. He said, okay, uh, I've written this heroic fifth symphony. I've written a pastoral sixth symphony. What next? I'll do a symphony that's intense but is fun, an intensified fun. It's more than fun. It is it's kind of grabbing you by the throat, going for the jugular kind of fun. 
So the second movement, the Allegretto of the Symphony Number no. 7 by Beethoven, this was a huge hit. It was encored at the premiere, became so popular, it got inserted into his other symphonies in performance, <laughs> uh, even played as a standalone piece. How unusual was this for the time? Well, we tend to think of revolutionary pieces as things that by definition are hard to understand, but this movement is revolutionary and it's very easy to understand. It's very simple. Uh, in its material, it is a deeply tragic, mournful movement in the form of a slow dance. But like the other movements, it's based sort of on a monorhythm, a bum, 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 that just keeps repeating over and over in these slow, mournful minor harmonies. And then it proceeds by a process of layering. He layers over that one melody and then another melody and then intensifies that. So it kind of grows and grows like being overtaken by sadness. And yet it can take on a very different feel in something like the movie, The King's Speech. You remember this? At the end, during the speech, had this very profound forward motion that it provided as this underpinning for the speech. It is to this I purpose that I now call my people at home and my peoples across the seas who will make our cause their own. I ask them. So Beethoven conducted the premiere of his Seventh Symphony. His hearing loss was getting progressively worse. Uh, he was losing his hearing slowly over a period of about 22 years. He was clinically deaf by his 40s. Do we know definitively why he went deaf? No. He had chronic digestive diseases that afflicted him from his teens on that were very bad and very painful. He may have had chronic uh, lead poisoning. But lead does not usually affect your hearing, though a doctor has told me that it can. He had an attack of typhus in the 1790s that nearly killed him, and that can affect your hearing. So those are possibilities, but ultimately beyond that, we don't know. He was beaten by his alcoholic father as a child. Yes. Is yes. there any evidence this was, at in some way, the root cause of his loss of hearing? If it was, it didn't manifest for years after that, so I tend to doubt it. Mm -hmm. Did Beethoven have a happy childhood? Something we haven't talked about uh, mm -hmm. in our series so far. How did it shape Beethoven as a composer? Um... When he was 10 years old, a teacher, his teacher, who was a very sophisticated musician, said in print, this kid can be the next Mozart. And um, that does something to you. So he was kind of special. He may have been happier in childhood than the rest of his life, but that doesn't mean it was very happy. I that's a good question, and I can't really say, except that he was... You know, he was a hot ticket, and he knew it, and everybody knew it, so there was that. He was clearly a, a phenomenal talent and, and pianist. His father, when he was a teenager, would take him on tours around the countryside to show him off and arrange concerts in the house, so his father really promoted him a lot. 
But I think the time of his father beating him up was gone by the time he was a teenager. But then there was another problem, which is that after uh, Beethoven's mother died, his father just went to seed. He became seriously alcoholic. So then the problem with dad was him, you know, lying drunk in the street and having to convince the police not to arrest him and dragging him home and Mm. these kind of humiliating scenes that would have been played out a lot. So that was a completely different kind of problem. But I think still Beethoven had patrons and good friends and uh, and he was healthy and he was so promising. So it may have been the, the best part of his life, his teens. In what way was the Seventh Symphony daring? I think in the intensity of its rhythm, the intensity of its whole ethos and atmosphere, its dance music taken to another place, another level of uh, frantic Every one of Beethoven's symphonies has an orchestral sound that's particular to it. Part of the character of each of his symphonies is the way it sounds. And this has a kind of pounding, driving orchestral sound. There's a kind of hysteria about it at times, but in the the most delightful possible way. It begins with one one of his most expansive introductions that's really quite grand and beautiful. It's not dance music. It changes everything that comes after it because it's so grand. It's a kind of grand canvas to open this frantic dance music. musicians admire about the symphony so much that is also very daring is the, the way he treats keys and key changes is just wild. Mm. Uh, very unique to him and it's all set up on the first couple of pages of the symphony that he's going to be going into very unusual places and also the symphony has this massive bass sound. It's sort of epic. Uh, you never forget two things about the sound of the symphony these big, low bass lines, and also the horn parts, these shouting, peeling horns. This frenetic, high-fueled intensity, he did it in his odd symphonies. He did it in his third, Mm -hmm. for sure, his Eroica, uh, his fifth, And we already know what comes at the end of the story with the ninth, and he's doing it here in the seventh. In a different way, in a way, if you call the third and the fifth among his most challenging symphonies, the ones that were strangest to the ears of his audience, the seventh is not challenging in the same way as the third and the fifth, but it does have their intensity. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the element of dance that is so rich in this symphony, unlike any other symphony he wrote, this unifying thread throughout the work. Can you walk us specifically through places in the symphony where we hear the dancing? It's all over the whole symphony. In the first movement, it's this dum 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 that never stops. In the book, I called it a titanic jig. second movement is this mournful slow dance that w- with another bum, 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 over and over, which is a dance rhythm.
The scherzo, the third movement, is a dance. Scherzos are dance-like by definition. And then the fourth movement is a reel, and it's it's kind of an Irish or a Scottish reel. But reels are never this fast and never this frantic. Jan Swafford, thank you so much, as always, for walking us through the nine symphonies of Beethoven. Of course, you do that and much, much more in your biography, Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph. I'm loving it, Monica. So till next time. Beethoven's nine symphonies are just part of what we bring you on CPR Classical each day. We're on the radio dial in Denver at 88.1 FM, in Boulder at 99.9 FM, and online where you can also get a list of our favorite recordings of each Beethoven symphony. You can find a concert video of each symphony and read more about it. Our website is cprclassical.org. You can subscribe to the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast either in the iTunes store or, again, at our website, cprclassical.org. My producer for the Beethoven 9 at 9 is Gene Inaba. Digital editor is Brad Turner. Jan Swafford's biography is titled Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph. I'm Monica Vischer. In our next podcast, The Eighth Symphony, when Beethoven catapults the joy, the wit, the charm of Mozart into a new era. His final say on the symphony for 10 years before he composed the ninth, his last. I hope you join us for the next Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast only from Colorado Public Radio.